0: Hello and welcome to UWO Now. I'm Wendell Wright. Thanks so much for stopping by and sharing some time with us today. We're going to be talking today with uh, Dr. Joseph Peterson, who is a an associate professor in the Department of Geology at the University of Wisconsin-Oshkosh. And we've talked to him before about his digs that he does every summer and taking students out uh, on digs, uh, uh, capturing the environment and learning more about dinosaurs. But uh, we wanted to bring... Uh, dr Uh, peterson back today uh, to talk about uh something else that unfortunately he has some experience with and that is a mass shooting uh many years ago when he was at another campus uh he was unfortunately involved in one and i'm gonna kind of just kind of turn the mic over to him a little bit and have a conversation about what he experienced uh, at Northern Illinois. First of all, thanks very much, uh, Dr. Peterson, for coming by and talking to us today about this. Oh, my pleasure. Tell us uh, about uh, that experience. When was it? And just kind of set the scene for us uh, that, that that day. Um, yes,
1: yeah, so I was a, a, a PhD candidate uh, at Northern Illinois University in DeKalb, Illinois. Uh, and this was Valentine's Day of 2008. <clears throat> and I was teaching a, a big Lecture. So I think I had about 180 students in the auditorium that day. And um, I was about five or six minutes from finishing that day's lecture. And there was a stage door to my left that opened. And this wasn't that unusual because it was February in Northern Illinois, very similar climate to here. Mm-hmm. And so around that time, people would cut through the building to get across campus. And so when I heard the door open, I turned and said, we're not done yet. And this individual walked out onto the stage with a sawed off shotgun and immediately started firing uh, into the crowd of students. Mm-hmm. And it took me a moment to really recognize what was happening. I and mean, then I jumped yeah. back. And my first thought was this, this can't be real. This has gotta be some kind of an odd drill. And then he reloaded and that's when it, it hit me. So when we're talking that thought, you know, being a fraction of a second, Um, There was nowhere to go, so I jumped off the stage and was crouching uh, by a podium. Individual kept firing and reloading, and firing and reloading. And I had just gotten married uh, a few months prior to that, the the, um, August prior to that, and knew, like, I've gotta get out of here. In fact, as silly as it sounds, the thought that, I remember the thought that went through my head was, if I die here, my wife is gonna kill me. (laughs) Funny now. It is funny now, but it's just your brain does weird things in those situations. And so I tried to stay low and started to, you know, quickly run up the aisle to get out of the auditorium. Uh, The gunman and I made eye contact. He dropped the shotgun, reached behind, pulled out a Glock 9mm and fired it uh, at me and it hit me in the right, uh, the left shoulder. And I realized I'd been hit, but I also realized I wasn't dead, so... I kept going. Um, I went to the next building over, and there was a bunch of students in a computer lab, and I ran and told everybody, you know, there's been a shooting uh, in Cole Hall, which was next door. You know, get away from the windows, call 911, lock the doors, and I just went running down the hallway of that building yelling that at everybody.
0: Now, this is at a time, was there like we have now where there's standard kind of drills and procedures that you follow? Take us back to that time and what you knew what to do.
1: really. I mean, this... This was um, less than a year after uh, Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. So that was just when campuses, schools, and malls were starting to talk about, hey, these things keep happening. Maybe we should have some preparation. And in fact, NIU's police department had just done an uh, active shooter drill a month or two before. And their response to this was perfect from the first 911 call. Police were in the building within 30 seconds.
0: Wow, okay.
1: Unfortunately, by then it was over. Hmm. The gunman had already taken his life. So, um, and it was done. Um, Yeah, it wasn't a student of mine. It wasn't anybody I knew. He he, was a former student of the university who had graduated and had gone on to grad school, but for whatever reason decided he wanted to come back to NIU and do this. And he chose that room on that day at that time because he had been a teaching assistant when he was a student there a different class in that auditorium and knew that, yeah, there'll be close to 200 people in here at around three o'clock. And I know the back way in. And so that's why he did it.
0: How did you, first of all, let me ask this question. Um, how many people were injured or killed in that incident?
1: There were 13 or 14 of us injured um, and then five students lost their lives.
0: How do you, process that how do you what was what was it like the days the weeks the months after that for
1: you it was uh it was surreal i mean i'll tell you you start noticing violence in pop culture everywhere when you've just experienced violence just living your life um i mean i couldn't watch tv for a while because there's you know what we would view as like a a joke about violence or something it just it it, it would Mm -hmm. reverberate Um, the press was a little much, they were knocking at the door at four in the morning for a few days. Wow. Um, literally knocking at the door. Literally. Yeah. Like eventually, uh, I had, my wife was there and and a couple of uh, friends were staying with us for a day or so and they, they just said, we're going to handle this. And yeah, they were parked in front for all, all night for a couple of days. And eventually we left, uh, we packed up our stuff and we went to Chicago for a weekend. And just kind of hit out. Um, and, it, you know, in the, the immediate aftermath of that, you become hyper aware. And, and you do get pretty paranoid. But, or at least I did. Uh, but eventually that, that kind of, I don't want to say completely goes away, but it, it transforms. Okay. You start becoming more aware of your surroundings in a, just a, a, a safety measure. You know, I always tell people that uh, when it really started to click for me is when um, I was on an airplane a few months after that, getting ready to go do some research at a museum. And, you know, before the, the flight takes off, they do the the safety announcement of what to do in case of, you know, a water landing in the Midwest or something, right. or they, you know, like the whole thing. And I'm like, wow, they don't even let you get off the ground without at least showing you where the exits are here. Why am I getting so upset at myself when I'm going out to a restaurant and I, I want to know where the doors are? That's just self-preservation. That's yeah. just knowing, knowing your surroundings. It's being prepared. It's yeah. just being prepared. And so I, I don't, I don't, I haven't become like overly paranoid or anything like that, but I, I'll do the, you know, sit down in the theater to watch the movie. Oh, I'm looking around. I'm checking the exits. As far as the emotional aftermath though, there, there was definitely some survivor's guilt. You know, uh, there was, there were parts of me that felt like I should have gone back in and grabbed people and brought them out. And, mm-hmm. Um, I actually talked to our uh, chief of police, for the campus police department, shortly after this, and, and kind of expressed some of these. Like, was there something I should have done? And he said, No. You realize if you would have run back in there and grabbed somebody, you now would have had two standing targets. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't thought of it that way before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't say that to like absolve myself, yeah. but it, it it's it's a fact because everybody was ducking down. If you run back into that room you could be putting somebody else in, in jeopardy. Or I can somebody. imagine it was, a, it was chaotic. It was total chaos. It was total chaos for about five minutes. Um,
0: were there, uh, honestly, were there enough exits? Were people jammed at the
1: exits trying to get out? How did that so, seem? Like- so the room was set up, you know, the, you'd walk into this auditorium and it's like an old school theater. It's like a, right. just a, a ramp that goes down and then there was a stage and there was an exit that goes to the back of the building, which is where the gunman had come in. And then there was like an AV closet that went nowhere and it was locked. So the really the only way to go out was through his line of fire, up the back mm-hmm. you know, entrance. So there there were two aisles to go up, and that was it. For for having 180 people in the room that day, um, and considering how many rounds he fired, and you know I I still it's still tragic to me that we lost five people. I I do have to say it could have been so much worse. It could have been so much worse. So, you know, it's—but that doesn't take anything away of what what actually happened.
0: Yeah. Wow. UWO uh, professor of uh, geology, Dr. Joseph E. Peterson, is with us here today. And we're talking not about geology today, but uh, he is actually the survivor of a mass shooting that took place several years ago at Northern Illinois University. He's so kind to come in and share uh, that experience with us because— I was living in Chicago at the time. And here's what I'm, I don't know what this actually says, but I vaguely remember that.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. How do you vaguely remember a mass shooting at a campus? Not very, I mean, it was in the same state. I remember it, but there have been so many instances since then that I'm struggling now. I kind of remember this. I remember there was a student who had some issues and um,
1: that's about all I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he came back. But yeah, it, it, I, I don't I don't blame you for having vague memories of it because we've been so saturated with this. And, I, and I'm not blaming the media for oversaturating it. These are these are events that do deserve attention. Um, I mean, I don't like to see the perpetrators glorified, of course, but, mm. uh, or, or, the, or the survivors you know, having their privacy <laughs> inflicted. But um, I do think that these are, are things that we do need to pay attention to um, because it's very easy to just turn a blind eye to it, especially when they become so common. Um, you know, we, we noticed during the pandemic uh, when everybody was on shutdown, oh, yeah, there's not as many mass shootings happening. It's amazing what happens when everybody stays home but notice when Uh, as restrictions lifted they started creeping up again and there's been an absurd number of them uh, as well uh you know here in the states for some reason it only really seems to happen at this frequency here in the states
0: um any thoughts on on why that might be
1: well you know it and i I try to stay out of the politics of this at least taking sides in politics but i think everybody has some you know both sides of those have some uh, responsibility there. Uh, for the argument that it's a mental health issue, I don't, I don't disagree. But I, I know personally, if if I had people living in my home that had mental health problems that put them at a danger to themselves and others, I wouldn't let firearms be so readily accessible to them. And I think that's the problem: is we haven't gotten a handle on mental illness, but we are. It's very, very easy to get a firearm. It's easier to get a firearm than it is to get Sudafed, you yeah. know, like it, yeah. during cold and flu season, you yeah. can only buy so much, yeah, right. you know, uh, but you can go purchase a handgun every day if you wanted to, or an AR-15 every day if you wanted to, if you had the funds. Um, so that that's something that I feel like isn't, if we talk about responsible gun ownership, that's not very responsible. Um, you know, and I understand about rights, but with rights there are responsibilities, Uh, And so that's where I feel personally that the ball has totally been dropped is uh, we're more worried about rights than responsibilities.
0: You've taken, I think, some responsibility in trying to stay involved with here at UWO and helping out with uh, what our police do and prepared. Do you have conversations with them about what to do or your experience and how have you shared that and how you think it's been a benefit to our campus.
1: Yeah. Shortly after I started teaching here, I noticed that, um, at the time it was captain, uh, Chris Tarman from our campus PD was, was, was an issue he's very passionate about. And he was giving some uh, workshops about, uh, you know, kind of what, not, it, I'm careful with how I word it. Cause I don't want to make it sound like it's a, Hey teachers, here's what you should be looking for in people. Cause it's mm-hmm. not that it, it's, it's more of a, uh, here's, here's, if this were to happen to you, which I hope it doesn't, I don't want that to be the first time you've ever thought about what you would do. So it's kind of a, let's get that index card in your brain that you can you know, relate to. And I saw his presentation and I contacted him afterward and said, you know, I, um, thank you for doing that. And here's my experience. And if I can contribute in any way, uh, I'd be happy to. And we've been working together since then. How so? Uh, we, we offer these workshops uh, to campus organizations. We've gone around the state and we've on campus and off campuses. Um, Tarman brings the law enforcement perspective of um, you know, what, what somebody can expect when police arrive on the scene. And he also provides um, some, some resources for how to get people help when they need it, uh, you know, part of a, a care team. Mm-hmm. Maybe you have a student in your class and they're really, really good at attendance, but all of a sudden they haven't been showing up. Now, this doesn't mean they're about to go do an act of violence, but they definitely need someone to reach out, going, "Hey, I've noticed a change in a behavior. This yeah. is kind of strange." We're in a unique position working with, with you know, people, uh, college-age students, where we see them every day, and so you can start noticing patterns if you care. Yes. And by doing so, you can notice when there's a deviation of that pattern. And this is a stressful time, whether we're Dealing with the aftermath of a pandemic or not, college is a stressful time for a lot of people, um, and allows us to to reach out and say, "Hey, you know, what's going on? Let's have a conversation." And then I can offer the perspective of having been through this, both from a student's perspective and a faculty's perspective, since I was kind of in a an in between role at the time and a survivor. And I a mean, survivor. That
0: that to me is as about as valuable as experiences as anyone could have. Is that you? You were there. Mm-hmm. You lived. Thank God through it. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, or do you, provide any information to the people that you come into contact with about your personal experience?
1: Well, so I'm. I am not an anti Second Amendment person. I, I have no problem with firearms uh, in in you know principle, but. Occasionally, you run into somebody who starts going off on their mantra about, oh, everybody wants to take, you know, the libs want to take your guns away or something Mm. like that, and I'll I'll share my story with them and say, you know, actually, no, I I don't think firearms need to be taken away. But, you know, there's also what I call the dirty, hairy mindset. Somebody hears about a mass shooting, and the first thing a lot of them says, you know, if I was in that position, this is what I'd do. You don't know what you'd do. Yeah. I didn't know what I was going to do. And you can be prepared, but until you're in that moment, you don't know what you're going to do. And I the only—I don't say the only, but I've noticed a lot of veterans echoing that same sentiment. You think you know what you would do in a combat situation. Until the bullets fly. Until the bullets are flying. And in my situation, it was calculate and get to safety, which is what I would tell anybody to do. You know, the best of your ability, get to safety. I was very, very lucky in that situation that I was able to get through that. Um, there's a number of these types of situations that have popped up where there is no exit. And so somebody has to fight. And sometimes they're able to subdue the shooter and sometimes they're not. Um, we, what we can't do is tell somebody, okay, here's exactly what you do because you're dealing with an unpredictable you know, situation. But it's more trying to get people to think about how they would approach that rather than specifically what to do. So kind of th- change the way you think about it. You know, don't try to be dirty hairy. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, <laughs> You know. wow very very interesting stuff and uh, it, not not only that but I'm sure you have uh, has anyone ever asked you to talk about how you dealt with the aftermath oh
1: sure yeah I, I did um, go to a therapist on campus for a while which a lot of students did even those that weren't in the classroom because they were on they had to experience lockdown and they didn't know what was happening and mm-hmm. that that is traumatizing Um you know, Looking back, I there was a naivety on my part that I have no problem admitting that I was like, I'm going to go talk to a counselor. I don't want to deal with PTSD, as if that's a thing you can just <laughs> yeah, brush off in a right. month or two. No, it's definitely something. There's Occasionally, there'll still be something that just sends a shiver, you know, or I'll need just a minute. It's rare, yeah, but it does happen. Um, there was a lot of counseling, a lot of just talking about it. Uh, and honestly, though, I think the number one thing that helped me, and it's just in the situation I was in, I was able to do this. You know, when, uh, when the Virginia Tech shooting happened, that was in April of yeah. 2007. And so when that happened, they pretty much just said, okay, we're done with this semester. There wasn't a coming back, you know, week or two. But at NIU, it was in February, was the beginning of the semester. Yeah. There were students that needed to graduate. I had students in that class that needed these credits to graduate, we had to continue. Obviously not in that room, but we had, that course had to continue. And so there was a discussion after about a week, cancels were, classes were canceled for about a week or two. There was a discussion about who was gonna continue teaching this course. And it. I wasn't excluded from it, but it, was, it wasn't um, assumed that I was going to. And so I emailed the entire class Which I hadn't done at that point because I didn't know what to say, and um, I I emailed them and said, "You know, here's here's the update." I was worried, you know, that they would find it distracting having me continue that course with them. But I asked them, and the only response I got from everybody was, "No, we don't want anybody else." Because I'd been in through that with oh, them, right?
0: Yes, and
1: there were oh, yeah. days finishing class. Maybe we'd stop ten minutes early. I'm just kind of feeling the vibe of everybody, and said, "You know what? That's enough. That's enough oceanography for today." How's everybody doing? And it turned into like a you know big giant group therapy session where we just kind of talk it out. And how are people doing? And that helped incredibly it was that connection. And I still keep in contact with a lot of those students today. Yeah. And some of, you know, everybody's growing up and they've got families of their own now. These are families that, that could not have, you know, they may not have existed. Yeah. If things were just slightly different, but it's really beautiful to see how, how they've they've continued to, to grow.
0: Wow. An interesting and important story and important information that you have there, Doctor. Uh, thanks so much uh, for sharing that with us. Uh, I, I, we could talk for hours about it, I'm sure but I don't want to take any more of your time. I do appreciate you, though, coming by and talking to us today about uh, your experience at Northern Illinois University and, and also how you're helping uh, here at UWO uh, with, with our campus and trying to make sure that um, uh, not only here, but uh, in the community, everyone is, 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 is aware and knows what to do as well. So thanks for that as well. Thank you. All right, that's all the time we got here today on UWO Now. Thanks for joining us. Check out our podcast, which will be made available on platforms like Google, Spotify, and Amazon. And you can watch this and other episodes on the UWO YouTube page. UWO Now is a production of 90.3 WRST-FM and the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks. I'm Wendell Ray.